Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbelay, and this is being recorded live on Skype March 11th, 2017. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We have on Mike Slater. Mike, how is your early spring looking? Well, uh, actually, this month I'll be, uh, the month, month of March, I'll be busy, uh, Attending different local train shows around the area. Very cool. And at, uh, so at, uh, the big, uh, March meet, uh, O scale show is, uh, in a few, uh, weekends here. So I'm mm-hmm. not sure if, uh, Terry Terrence, uh, will make the trek out, uh, west, uh, this year like he did last year. But, uh, so hopefully I'll be able to run into a few model rail radio listeners, uh, at that particular show. But, uh, it's a, always an enjoyable one. Otherwise, uh, at the end of the month is a show in Rockford, Illinois, and then end of uh, April is a show up in Green Bay, Wisconsin, that I go to and walk around. So the O-Scale meet that's held in Chicago annually, do they do any Lionel-related stuff, or is it mainly two-rail O-Scale? Everything is two-rail O-Scale, and mm. what I primarily go there for is looking for O-Scale trolley parts uh, for my O-Scale trolley models. Uh, so it's uh, uh, over the, each year I usually find, you know, different little bits and pieces to complete models that I've acquired. And mm. uh, so that way I can get those. Otherwise, if I were to go to some of the local shows, I just wouldn't see those type of detail parts um, at at those shows. So it's it's a great show to find little tidbits. Sometimes I find items that I'll convert to three rail and. Uh, so it's, uh, I always kind of have a running joke with some of my buddies that are two rail old scale modelers. They'll buy the three rail items and convert them to two rail. And I buy the two rail and convert them to three rail. Very cool. Very cool. So in terms of your trolley models, are you looking for any particular parts or are you just going to see what's available? Kind of usually it's, it's just going to see what's available because you never know what you're going to find. You know, you could be hoping to find particular items and you won't find any of those items. But uh, if you see, if I see a part that I know I can use and it's not too badly priced, I'll pick them up and add them to the little uh, hobby store uh, stash, as one would say. The personal hobby store stash. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So you've also been rail finding, haven't you? Um, A little bit, uh, not as much as one would like to. And at this uh, afternoon I had heard that, uh, uh, a Cascade Amtrak locomotive that's used out in Washington State mm. and Oregon uh, made the trek uh, east uh, to Chicago yesterday uh, on Amtrak number eight, uh, the Empire Builder, and it headed back uh, today on Amtrak number seven, the uh, westbound Amtrak Empire Builder. So I was able to photograph that. Uh, but otherwise, it uh, I don't know if it's just... Uh, the cold weather that we've had or the kind of going between warm weather, cold weather that uh, just haven't really had the ambition or the interest to go out train watching. Mm. But uh, uh, I am making plans with my uh, rail fan friends. And uh, at the end of the month, when I go down to Rockford, Illinois, the afternoon, we'll spend the afternoon and early part of the evening uh, train watching down in uh, a community called Rochelle, Illinois. Certainly. Which is a real big hot uh, oh, yeah. hotbed of train activity. So. Yes. I was going to actually ask you about the Rockford show because this is, is this one, this is one that you attend regularly, right? This is an annual show for you. 
Correct. Uh, it's uh, put on by the uh, uh, the Rockford's uh, local NMRA division puts on the show, and it's uh, held at a local high school in their gymnasium. Hmm. And it's it's a real nice mixture of all scales and gauges. They have trained layouts uh, in the gymnasium of all different scales and gauges. Uh, so it's very good family orientated uh, show in that it's not just strictly one scale or one gauge and being someone like me that's multi-gageal and multi-interested in the, the hobby, it kind uh, kind of fills all niches and uh, needs uh, one would uh, require. Very cool, very cool. So, is there something that um, I mean? A lot of these shows is, are a unique opportunity to actually catch up with old friends and things like that. At the Rockford show in particular, are the particular clubs that show that you wouldn't see elsewhere? Uh, actually, there is quite a few layouts that uh, I usually will only see at the, the Rockford show, or cool. uh, one or two of them may track up to the Madison, Wisconsin train show, but uh, it's a lot of different dealers and uh, uh, club layouts that you don't see uh, up here in Wisconsin. Very interesting. Very interesting. So, in terms of your own club, in terms of getting the club layouts together, is there anything that you're working on for the summer? Well, uh, one of the the major things that I'm working on, in fact, I had my uh, uh, one buddy kind of send me a message and told me, hey, we have to get together so I can teach you how to do overhead wire on the trolley modules because we'll be doing a show at the uh, towards the end of May. Cool. Uh, and, and my modules that I'm constructing are very vital to the, the setup. So mm-hmm. uh, hopefully, if not by the end of this month, uh, sometime middle of next month, we will... Uh, start uh, he'll start teaching me the art of the the overhead trolley wiring uh for all the soldering and all that yeah so i'm actually very looking forward to that because it's something i've always wanted to do since uh my teenage years but uh, never had the ambition or the person that i would know how to do it to teach me how to do it so it's uh actually looking very much forward to that um but otherwise besides that i've been acquiring different trolley models and in fact, uh, one model that I had acquired some time back that uh, belonged uh, to a gentleman that I knew that passed away probably about 20, 25 years ago, mm. I think might actually be a model that may have been a cover shot on Model Reorder Magazine. Wow. So it uh, uh, it's, uh, looks a lot like the trolley that he was working on when he was stationed in uh, Panama. Mm. But Interesting. Uh, it... Uh, uh, the gentleman uh, worked for a short period of time for Kambach uh, Publishing as an illustrator, mm. and uh, uh, he had a lot of his uh, art uh, sketches of trolleys and other items uh, that appeared through the magazine in the uh, late 40s, early 50s, before he moved on to other companies to do illustrations for uh, their manuals and stuff like that. So it, uh, Interesting. But, but the trolley model looks a lot like the one that uh, that I have in my possession, so... The only the only thing I can't determine if it exactly is the one model or not is in the photograph he's still working on building the trolley model, so it doesn't <laughs> have any doesn't have any of the lettering on 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 the trolley model, but it appears to be painted, and the way it's painted, it's uh, painted in the same tones as uh, the model I have. So it'd uh, be kind of interesting if it is or if it isn't, but uh, it uh, just kind of an interesting little model now. Hmm. Do you care about the Providence? I mean, you've mentioned it. Is this something that you can track down, perhaps? Uh, well, it's it's really hard to do because uh, uh, 
only the gentleman that built it would have probably have known. Um, mm. And of course, like I said, he's been uh, deceased now for several decades. Yes. Uh, one one model that I also own in uh, the American Double O scale uh, also may be a, a possible model railroad uh, magazine uh, model also because the gentleman I guess built uh, three or four of the particular models and right now my my model that I own is the only one that no is known to still exist mm. out of that gentleman's collection that he had built back in the the 1950s. Very interesting. Very interesting, Mike. Well, while I have you on the line, Model Railroader obviously passed a milestone this month associated with the thousandth issue. Have you had a chance to have a look at it? Uh, I actually purchased the uh, the, the issue and, and I've paged through it. Uh, it's not as uh, interesting, in, in my opinion, as like some like their their 40th or 50th anniversary issues, which seem to be a little bit larger in size. Certainly. Uh, but uh, there were some decent little articles in it. Uh, and in fact, the, what kind of drew me to that trolley model again, which brings back full circle, is that the cover shot was listed as one of the uh, magazine subscribers' uh, uh, write-ins for one of their favorite issues. Certainly, yes, yes. Yeah, no, I find it quite interesting. I mean, Model Railroader is a unique publication. I think... For people that don't come to the hobby in this country, for people that know the hobby internationally and then come to Model Railroader, as I do, I'm in the vast minority, obviously, I find it quite a curious publication in parts, and certainly the Thousandth Issue didn't disappoint in that light. But also I appreciate that this is a long history, a long legacy, as you say, of people that have been deceased for, you know, a few decades now that have contributed to it in a, a high point of, of the publication. And no, I found it very interesting, actually, because it had a, a strong, I don't know what we'll call it, like a throwback to the history of the publication, which I always find interesting. And you have a unique perspective because you also maybe unwittingly collect the models <laughs> that have appeared in the publication. So, yeah. Yeah. Very interesting stuff, Mike. So, yeah. in terms of Model Rail Radio, are we missing any topics? Can we be covering ever, anything that you'd like to hear more about? Well, not... Uh... Nothing. I think we're doing okay on every front there. I've been uh, actively every now and then occasionally posting to the trolley modeling boards and mm -hmm. trying to drag in new uh, oh, yeah. callers to the show. So Gotta trying to do my, my bit. Yep. <laughs> well, even if it's just one or two guys every Certainly. couple months I call in, it's just trying to get some new people to get some new takes on, on the show. And for the regular listeners that listen to the show, call in. It's a lot of fun. Very Don't be much afraid so. to. Yes. And I, I didn't realize that you hadn't previously laid trolley wire. I thought that came with, like, collecting trolley models. But that's interesting to me that you hadn't previously done it. Does the gentleman use, like, wire tension and stuff or spring tension to get the the cables at the right tension? Or what kind of techniques are you looking forward to learning with that? Well, that's one of the biggest uh, things if you were to look back in older issues of, of Model Rider magazine. Uh, people used to take a, like a one gallon bucket and put sand in it to add tension onto the trolley wire. Mm. And everybody that I know that has operating trolley layouts don't have any tension on the wire. It's basically, uh, you know, they, they'll probably pull it uh, tight as they're laying it, but, uh, it's, um, there's no additional tension added to the, the wire. Interesting. So interesting. Yeah. 
that was one of the things when uh, Jim Rent uh, designed the North Shore Cantonary Tower kits for his product line. He went to me, you know, you know, because he was using the, the laser board. Yes. You know, how much how, how much tension do the guys put on their trolley wire? I'm like, I don't know. I've never seen anybody ever put tension on on their trolley wire. Hmm. And uh, my one friend that I've been trying to have him call in. Uh, he actually used some of those canary towers on on his trolley layout, and Wonderful. he has he has no additional tension on them, and it they work uh, beautiful. Interesting, interesting stuff. Well, thank you for calling in, Mike. You're always a wealth of information, and thanks for kicking off the call today. Always a pleasure chatting with you. Well, thanks a lot, Tom. like to welcome back our Richard Murphy. Murph, you have passed on the reins of president. You are liberated from Silicon Valley lines. You can enjoy it once again as a regular punter. What is going on with Silicon Valley lines currently? Well, we're, we're coming up to uh, having a uh, Bay Rails event mm. coming up Thursday. Oh, yeah. Uh, we recently hosted an LD OPSIG operating session. And on Thursday, we're having a bonus session for uh, Bay Rails operators. Certainly. Uh, we also have had a failure in our JMRI server and an emergency uh, replacement with a Mac Mini from the <laughs> previous Mac Pro, yes. uh, which caused a little bit of consternation. Uh, it turned out we actually had everything backed up in Git for those that oh, know yeah. software. Um Git is a way of uh, keeping a version of your current code. And uh turned out that uh, Dave Falkenberg and Chris had actually backed up everything to Git at the wow. time, and we got everything back. It was a matter, though, of we had a different version of JMRI, mm. which had a different way of talking to our iPads, and many of our iPads are actually kind of old. Certainly. And so Dave had to get a current, more current version of, uh, let's see, IO Socket, I think it was, the library. And he <laughs> tied that in last night, and everything works wonderfully. Wonderful. And we're back up and running with cool. a less power uh, chewing server. So yeah. that's really a great thing. Yeah, the server was vintage itself, right? It was my old 2006 Mac Pro. Yes. And so I brought in my old 2008 Mac Pro last night in order to be able to read the disk from it because cool. it had died. <laughs> and we confirmed that we actually had everything, and then yeah. Dave was able to move on from there. So it was a lot of great uh, great work on Dave last night, saving everything, making sure everything was up and running. And actually, things are a lot more performant right now, which is really good to see coming up to this uh, operating session. Yes. Model Rail Radio's own Dave Barraza, I believe, is going to be attending the operating session on Thursday. So, Oh, great. I'll see yeah. him then. Most definitely. Most definitely. So... In terms of your home layout, we've been having floods recently. It's affected your part of the world more than most. Um, how's your layout looking? The layout's doing really good. I ended up with only two two leaks over the layout in non-prototypically uh, wet places, which was kind of nice. I actually worked a lot on Caliente during this last three months or so, and fleshed it out to the point where there are no open grid places where trains can fall to the floor. Wonderful. Uh, Always positive. Also, yeah, and actually with a lot of influences from uh, Ray Tur Turner, who 
has gone through uh, the club layout at Bayshore and done a lot with getting ground cover on and ballasting and that kind of stuff. I looked at it and going, I can do this, including the fact that I'd actually painted the track work and that kind of stuff. Mm. I did the same thing at my home layout and started to get some uh, actual color to the layout. Cool. And it's made quite a difference, and it's it's really inspired me to get going a lot more on it. At the same time, I also uh, I ripped out a lot of my upper staging, try to trying to simplify it so I don't need to fear running a train around the reverse loop up top that's six mm. feet off the floor. And uh, I'm starting to put everything back in place for that now in a lot simpler track work, a lot uh, hopefully with a little bit more room and that sort of thing. Very cool. Very cool. Yes, I wonder about your part of the world through the floods. I mean, obviously a road was knocked out and various other things. So it's good to know that you're uh, you're still able to transit from uh, <laughs> from your work to your home to Silicon Valley lines. That's always good. Always good. Actually, I probably worked from home for about a month and a half. Ah, that's how you did it. Interesting. Because yeah. I, yeah, I think I got some of the Silicon Valley lines emails. But yes, your part of the world was certainly quite isolated through the recent flooding. For a while, there was no way out of town. Always a good start. Yes. Many, many of the locals actually appreciate that. Like, this is a thing of pride for them that they can't leave in these circumstances. So. Well, it it's kind of interesting when you see, you know, people in Sunnyvale that are without power and they're freaking out after a day. And hmm. it's kind of like, well, that sounds like Monday to me. Hmm. Yes. And, you know. We're ready for that. We have generators and that sort of stuff. Luckily, Comcast doesn't usually fail me, even when the power's out. Very cool. Very cool. It was quite impressive the number of people who contacted me through the flooding with their concerns. Obviously, the area that I'm in had flooding as well, and uh, quite sizable flooding. But thankfully, Shea Barbalay was not affected, not impacted through that. But a number of folk further south and a number of folk further north were. So not a well, nice period what of time. Was what was happening with your drains, Tom? I'm not sure. How, how would one put it in a, a, a child-friendly podcasting format? I would use the term fecal geyser to actually describe <laughs> the phenomena. I think that's the way you yes. describe it. Let's, let's put it this way. My tenant's house, which thankfully isn't tenanted currently, 18 months ago the same phenomena happened, but we actually had tenants over that period of time. And uh, more recently, thankfully, we didn't have tenants. And let's just say, I'm going to wait till the summer months to do the full cleanup. But um, I don't know, WWDC is actually going to be happening in San Jose this year, and co-workers have threatened to come and visit me. So I've got to probably tidy things up in that kind of time frame. But let's just put it this way, there's only so much high-pressure stuff that you can deal with. And thankfully, having put in the work and having gotten the city out half a dozen times, it sprayed them in the face a few times as well. So, um, But the terrible thing about this is that through the flooding, a lot of that actually passed down to a neighbourhood further south where they were literally swimming in it. So you can't really... I mean, it was pretty horrible here, but thankfully it was isolated and, yeah, not... As, as, we, as we all say, from, from management experience, it all flows downhill. Yeah, something like that. Uh, under high pressure when it rains in San Jose, it appears. But, yeah. Uh, yeah so so other, and yes. other projects I'm looking at, I'm making a couple uh, track cleaning engines out of oh, some cool. uh, eight, mid-80s level uh, Athern uh, AC4400s, I think, or something like that. Interesting. And I'm playing around with putting a Raspi Zero in there with a camera. Mm. 
so that not only can I clean track, but I can see what I'm cleaning, hopefully by the end of it all. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not promising anything yet, but that's one of the more exciting things I'm starting to do. Of course, I was prodded on that again by Dave Falkenberg because he is all things are, you know, Raspi and Arduino and all Certainly. that kind of stuff. It, it, he might even be categorized as having a bit of a Raspberry Pi problem, right? Like or he fetish. probably he should go to uh, Arduino Users Anonymous or something like that. I mean, it really he, he seems to purchase them in a kind of serial fashion. My suspicion is every aspect of his life is now automated by said microcontrollers and processors. Exactly, there is that. And beyond that, I'm uh, I'm signed up for the Bakersfield PCR meet. Ooh, interesting. Most notably because, hey, there's a Tehachapi uh, road <laughs> trip in there. Very cool. Which for me, obviously, is, is pretty big. Oh, so yeah. anyway, I, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, so your need for cleaning is pretty epic. In terms of your footage of track, how, how many? It, it's a few hundred feet of track, right, on your layout? I think it's like 350 feet or so, if okay. you include... All of the staging, that sort of stuff. Interesting. So the need is great there associated with cleaning. Yeah, and the other thing is you really want to put a track cleaning car in front of the powered engines mm. so that they don't go through something that's dirty. Yeah. So I was getting a little peeved at putting track cleaning cars in front of engines and shoving them through and thought, well, if I put a couple dummies up there, and I'm considering actually using those to also help pick up power so that it kind of combines across the lash up. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. It'd be nice to go to dead rail, but that's not happening. I don't think. <laughs> yes. Well, you certainly have the weight associated with, uh, you know, cleaning the track if you went to dead rail. So interesting possibility. Interesting possibility. True. Have you been to the Bakersfield meet previously? I've never been there. I've only been to, to Hatchapi once and hmm. we were, we were on the way out to uh, visit Mo's daughter, and I got to Railfan for an hour and a half, which I think mm. Mo probably thought was wonderful. And I was <laughs> like, I could spend the whole day here. Yeah. Uh, but it was kind of a dead dead time for Tatch, so it was just as well. It was actually Christmas several years ago. Interesting. And uh, it was hard for people to actually get through just on 68. Yeah. And uh, they were having yeah. real problems on the pass. Interesting. Yeah, Bakersfield strikes me as a model railroading town. I've been through it a few times. I've stopped typically to go, I don't know what the term is, antiquing perhaps? And yeah. I remember actually picking up model railroader magazines in Bakersfield. It strikes me, and actually there's a, there's a pretty reasonable sized hobby store, but it still requires you to buzz it in, which is rather a curious phenomenon in a hobby store. But yeah, no, Bakersfield strikes me as a model railroading town. So yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Very cool. Well, Murph, you know the way things go. Please hang on the line. If anything comes up, always welcome to get your feedback. And thank you for calling in today. Okay, sure. I'd like to welcome back on Matt Goodman. Matt, when we last spoke, you had a process in place, potentially caused, potentially instigated by Mrs. Goodman associated with getting your layout in a state where people could actually see trains running for a very particular event in your neighborhood. How is that process going? Uh, well, since the last time we talked, uh, I've made a little bit of progress. We've mm -hmm. uh, Christy has put some roofs on one of the mock-up buildings, uh, cool. Container Corporation, which was a straw board factory. She 
Uh, we've had that mock-up for about well, probably six or eight months, and uh, but it's been white. So we painted that a rust color and primer, and then mm. she put roofs on it and put a chimney on. So it looks a little more finished in that respect. Um, the industry right next door is Esmeralda Canning Company. Mm-hmm. And that's that's also a mock-up, but uh, this is the one that Dad's working on, uh, getting the actual finished model built. So I, I think he's really close to having that complete. I posted a couple of photos of that on the Facebook group, and he's he's doing this in a very mixed-media sort of way. Uh, the structure is basically chipboard, so you know, mm-hmm. think of the back back page of your legal pad, for example, something of like that uh, weight. And then on top of that, he has used a context meant to adhere uh, drawing paper. And on the drawing paper, he has drawn this. This was a metal-sided building, and so he's drawn all the the corrugation lines on that. So it's about he guessed about 800 lines. And I asked him why he <laughs> if he drew them all by hand. He said, "Yeah, I did." But you know, 800 lines is nothing for him because he's done hundreds of thousands of lines during his his career. Mm. But he's done a wonderful job, and uh, he's detailed it with uh, some uh, titchy uh, windows and doors, mm. and he's put the uh, gutters on. And of course, being an architect, he's put all the appropriate details like raptor tails and and guttering and uh, downspouts and, and that kind of thing. And last time I saw it, I'll see it again tomorrow. We have a family thing going on tomorrow, but um, uh, yeah. Oh, well, I should say he's also made this thing so it's disassemblable. He's one of these guys that likes to be able to take the roof off too mm. and get. But it's really all, all the details, almost all the details, except for like the doors and windows, are all sketched on. Uh, even even the weathering is, is just uh, shaded on with a pencil. Cool. Uh, and the the, the hand truck uh, lines from where the guys were dri- driving, sorry, drawing the hand trucks around up to the loading dock. That's all drawn on. The the sign above the whole building is drawn on. Uh, it's it's really really cool. So we'll see. I, I talked to um, Jim Gore briefly about about making sure to stay stable because Jim Gore, of course, is the expert of cardstock modeling. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and he seemed to think it would be okay as long as it was, you know, reinforced. So since then, Dad has put a uh, – taken some foam core board and, and cut about an inch wide and glued that around the inside as a rib. So we'll see. We'll see how it holds up. I, I've gotten a couple of feedbacks from uh, a few forums that people were – they're not certain that it will hold up because I think most people think that – cardstock is equal to warping sides and so forth. Hmm. I was also that, that viewpoint. I, I trust Jim Gore when he says, no, as long as you keep, uh, as long as you assemble it correctly, uh, it shouldn't be a problem. So we'll, we'll see in 20 years. Certainly. <laughs> well, if anyone should know, it should be Jim Gore. So yeah, probably that's true. sage advice there. So in terms of actually running trains. Yeah, that's, that's not much further. Um, I think last time I, I talked, there's, I, I can't remember the guy's, I know some guys down Portsmouth uh, that, that came up and uh, did some. We started a kind of a mass theater soldering event, and either I was just planning that last time I called in, or it just happened. I can't recall, but so that's done. So there's about uh, there's about 30 feet of track that has all its feeders on, and then I still need to get the the, the buses in. Uh, for the I've got all the track laid through circle, but at least I'll, I'll intend to lay before the event. Um, and this has been a slow process because I'm using. Central Valley ties, which require each of the, that they're plastic ties, but the rail goes on separately and you have to bend over the ties and the spikes, those plastic spikes on each tie bend it over to hold the rail in place. And uh, so that has gone kind of slowly. Now the next 30 feet, I'll still be using the same ties, but I'll be 
using a much more expedient uh, anchoring process. I'll just be spiking it directly to using regular spikes to hold the rail down on top of the ties. Um, I'll post some pictures for that later, but that'll hold the ties in place. It'll hold the rail in place, make it make it runnable and so forth. And then I'll worry about bending all the spikes over and the detailing and so forth. I'll wait for that later this summer. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going a little slower than I'd hoped it would be, partly because I've been learning on the fly because mm-hmm. a lot of stuff I learned on the shelf layout mm-hmm. uh, applies differently when you're talking about you know 30 or 40 feet compared Certainly. to eight. Um, so I'm learning some of that, and I uh, struggled with uh, how it's going to solder the feeders on for a while, at least in the scenic part. I struggled with that. So I finally found a process I think is going to be both uh, very discreet and, and rugged. Uh, so what's your it. technique there? Well, I've decided to go under the rail, and uh, this is something that the guys in Portsmouth suggested. Initially, I, I kind of resisted it because it requires you to anchor the – well, the way we did it initially, we're soldering the feeder onto the rail first, then, then placing the rail in position. Now, the trouble with that is if you don't get the uh, the hole drilled through the sub-road bed in exactly the right spot, by the time you drop the rail on top of that, you'll have either to unsolder and resolder it uh, or so forth. So if you're only 16th of an inch off or an eighth of an inch off, it's going to cause a problem. But um, what I ended up doing is I, I kind of went through this process. We tried that. I had one solder that way, and I wasn't really satisfied with that. So the next one I tried soldering onto the side of the rail just in a very low-profile low, low profile kind of way. Uh, and that was okay, but then I – uh, these particular ties have, uh, in the molding, they have rail clamps modeled. And rail clamps are the, mm. the little pieces that are anchored around the base of the rail that that bear against the tie. And the the purpose for them in real life is to keep the rail from creeping in the direction of the uh, traffic. Uh, so I, the next couple of feeders, uh, I, I shaped them like a rail clamp and uh, basically hid them, in, hid them in plain sight. So I bent it around the rail base. Made it look like the molded plast, uh, sorry, the molded uh, rail clamp on the opposite side of the rail, and uh, that worked pretty well visually. But it was a little bit tedious because it was close to tie. I had to be careful not to melt it. I was trying to hide this in plain sight, making it look like half of a rail clamp. So half mm. on the outside of the rail was the plastic molding that comes with the tie, and then I cut off the other half on the inside of the rail and replaced that with the feeder. But that's a bit, t- bit tedious. So the thing I finally came up with, long story short, is I went back to. Uh, soldering it on the base of the rail but did it after the rails in place so i'd lay the rail down raise up about an eighth of an inch push the uh the feeder up from the bottom uh bend a 90 degree bend on the bottom and push the rail back on top of it weight it briefly and then mm. solder it from the side so mm. uh, then i just need to push it down the eighth of an inch it's in perfectly in place that way it's the feeder is where it wants to be based on where the hole is and um, and everything works pretty well so i've done a couple that way and it, it seems to be pretty quick yeah, so that that was work right through that helped out. So going around the rest of that curve should be should be a little quicker. We'll see. And uh, if worse comes to worse, then I'll just uh, uh, jerry rig something up through June and then uh, come back later and and uh, polish things up a bit. So that's that's for that list. Unfortunately, I've been traveling quite a bit in the past couple of weeks, and that's really put a crimp in things. Um, Damn that yeah. external life of the model railroading exactly. hobby. But the plus side of that is uh, the travel was to Toronto. and Ooh, um, Yes. Yeah. So I got a hold of, on the first trip up, this is uh, three weeks back, uh, I got a hold of uh, Chris at the time to see if he'd be available. And unfortunately, he's also slammed with work. So, uh, But but Trevor said, hey, come on over to my place. So I went over to visit Trevor uh, uh, two weeks, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had dinner and uh, looked at his layout and, and so forth. And that was fun. And last week, uh, we had a day where we had some work that – we kind of came to a stoppage due to some technical problems. And 
So we uh, left the building for about two hours, and I headed over to Credit Valley Model Works. Credit Valley Railroad Company is what it's called. Yes. And uh, that place is wonderful. I've been there once before, but um, this time I spent a lot of time in the detail aisle. And, and it's it's really quite an eye-opening and pleasant experience when when details are, first of all, in stock. <laughs> and secondly, they're in stock and displayed in a manner that it's easy to look at them. Because these are on big peg boards that are about Certainly. four feet high, two feet wide, and they slide back and forth. So as you slide one board to the side, there's another board behind that with a bunch more details. So I left a bunch of money with them and went back to work happy. Wonderful. And Yeah, exactly. And uh, then this week, I'll be going back up uh, to Toronto. And if things go as planned, um, uh, I'll be going back over Trevor's for a, a short operating session. And at the end of the week, I'll be either attending the RPM in Toronto, mm-hmm. which is next Sunday. No, sorry, next Saturday. Mm-hmm. Or I'll be attending the RPM meet in Pittsburgh. So depending on when work wraps oh. up, if work works up late, I'll stay in, in Toronto for another day and, and hang out there. If it wraps early, then I'll head down towards Pittsburgh and, and uh, stop that RPM meet there. Wonderful. Spoiled for yeah. choice. There is some benefits to, to the travel, I guess. Yes. Well, if you see Chris Abbott, please do pass him my regards, if you can find yeah. him. Yes, I certainly will. He He's supposed to be able to free up uh, towards the end of March. So, unfortunately, that's right when I stop traveling, so I don't think we'll see him around either. Well, pass on, pass on my regards via Trevor Marshall, and I'm sure it will get to him in one piece. So. Yes, certainly will. So in terms of deadlines and things like this, are you still really working to the deadline, or are you happy to be where you are as things progress? I mean, you might not be able to get trains running all the way around, but you've made some serious progress. Or is your wife yeah. not accepting that kind of excuse? <laughs> well, she's uh, she keeps uh, wondering if I'm sitting on earlier today. I had to do some stuff on the computer, and she's looking at me and wondering why I wasn't down the basement, which is uh-huh. kind of a, a kind of a pleasant uh, experience yeah. to have with with yeah. a significant other. But uh, so that's where I am now. I was, I was working on the track when when uh, the call started, and I'm doing that now. But uh, to answer your question, uh, I'm starting to feel a bit stressed about that deadline because you know. Two months ago, it seemed a long time, long way away. And, uh, yes. you know, you have three weeks of your life sucked away for external problems. Yep. And, uh, all of a sudden there's not quite as much time left. Um, but, uh, and that's why I've decided that I've got to kind of lower my, I, I'm not, I shouldn't be shooting for the end model in look right now. I should be shooting for an expedient, um, yes. expedient process that is easily retrofitted to the end look. Certainly. Um, but it allows the track, allows the trains to run as soon as possible. So we'll see. But yeah, there's still a lot to do. I got to get that done once that's done. The, the three things I want to have done is having the track running or the, uh, the, the loop, uh, running and also have some fish up. So it kind of finishes off the edge. And, and if time allows, I'm going to have, I want to, uh, do some scenic finishing on about two foot stretch of the, of the layout so that people who visit will see that, uh, that model railways aren't just bench work and track they are bench work track and potentially scenery hmm. it's not, I'm, cool. I'm expecting yeah i'm expecting a lot of these people to be the first time they've seen something like this so i'd want to try to leave a as positive impression as possible certainly certainly yeah. matt it's always a pleasure it's always sure a pleasure thing. to uh get your update and get a sense of how things are going and please keep posting youtube and photos and everything that you do because i think it's inspirational for a lot of people Excellent. Okay. The time to take care and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Matt. Talk to you soon. I'd like to welcome back on Jim Gifford. Jim, I had an opportunity to meet your son a couple of weeks ago, which was absolutely wonderful. 
And I would extend this out to the greater Model Rail Radio listening audience that if you have children that would like to meet me as well, I'm more than happy to meet them as well. It was a pleasure to meet Adam. Yeah, he was very keen to go and see Apple headquarters and, and Netflix. So, um, he's a bit of a uh, an eye guy, whereas I'm not. Yes, I'm not sure what secrets are revealed in seeing the place, but it's good to know that it actually exists, I guess. Yeah, I think that he's just completed his Bachelor of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. I think he just wanted to come and see where some of the modern places in the world were going to. Certainly, certainly. And you and I have some history. I mean, you know, you've you spent some time with me, I've spent some time with you, so no, it was a real pleasure to meet your son. Yeah, and um, it's good to see that Birdie appears to be on the mend. Yes, I think there's a thing with cats where they just pretend that they're dying when anything goes even moderately wrong, and in his case, although his teeth were bad, only two small ones needed to be pulled in the end, and he seems to be getting back to things. I mean, I'm still giving him his medicine and this kind of stuff, so he kind of spits at me in disgust as I put it in his mouth, but he's getting all the wet food he can possibly eat, so, yeah, he's living like a king. He can't complain. Very good. Has he gone back to being boss of the house? Yes, yes. That's uh, <laughs> When I put out the wet food, he gets to eat first, and the other cats just look at him, knowing that he is yeah, at, at the top spot. So, in terms of your model rail rating hobby, obviously I saw you last summer. I'm not sure if we've had it. Maybe we've had one chat since then. How's things going with your layout? Layout's going fine. We, we had a um, an op session here, the first one for 13 months, I think. A um, couple of weeks back now, and... Uh, there was eight of us, and we ran a string of trains, and um, I wasn't so stressed out because I'd stretched out the timetable. Wonderful. So, um, so that, that worked pretty well. Um, I've been working with uh, one of the other guys you didn't meet. If you get back, we'll take you up there to well to Wayne's. He's um, he's got a layout with about I don't know six hundred foot mainline. Oh, okay. And, and, Did I meet him in the uh, store? Was he in the store? I think I met a fellow called no, Wayne in the store, no, perhaps. No, 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 he came to the grand opening. Oh, okay. That's where we, we first hooked up, and okay. um, which was after you'd been. So, um, yeah, I've been operating up there. You should probably see that on my blog. But normally go up there at least once a month. And um, we discovered after he started his operations that the middle station, the configuration was totally wrong for what it was needing to do. Interesting. So, um, the whole lot got ripped up, and so in the last uh, uh, in the last year and early this year, we've been working rewiring uh, after the tractors reloaded, and uh, uh, did quite a bit of work there. And then I've been doing Roscoe's interlocking because Roscoe Wonderful. got the bug out and got back, so he's actually been Very working. Good. And the west wall got cleared, and there's actually track down now. Wonderful. And um, so we're. Um, on the blog, you'll see about the interlocking because he yep. he couldn't quite get the design he wanted, and uh, so he's got one track that crosses a double main. So um, I've been doing a microcontroller project so that it flip flops the power in and out so they can't have a prank. And um, and then he wanted remote control of that from two locations, and uh, so I just used a launch pad project and yeah. uh, built one, and that I did. Check with Terry, and, and Terry still does one launchpad project. <laughs> and while, I, while I'm talking about that, anyone that's done a, a project for Terry or has got a Dropbox link to where their code is, Dropbox are changing how they work in March. Yes. So the old folder system's going to die, so all those links will die with it. Yes. So 
So I've, I've re-established the new links and sent them all to Terry, ready for him to update the website. What's Wonderful. In, what's mm. Well, I'm really pleased so, that Roz... That's been keeping me busy. Certainly. I, I'm really um, pleased that Roz finally kind of got things together because, I mean, certainly we had a number of conversations while you both were out here associated with, like, will this trip actually invigorate the layout and this kind of stuff? And certainly... Yeah, there was some speculation that travelling round, meeting, I don't know. How many people did you meet? 25-odd? You went to twenty, at least 25 layouts, I would imagine, over your time here. It's got to do some reinvigorating, right? Oh, it definitely has. It's, uh, uh, you know, he's actually been out and bought stuff. He's been um, spending time down the basement. And, uh, it, it's, it's really good. So we can see that there's progress happening We've got out of the doldrums that happened post Pam, and uh, and now um, he's uh, he told me he has to respond to you about an email you sent to him yep. about that W crew. So making a movie, a- making a movie, a long-standing yeah, yeah. movie. We'll chat to Jamie Fenton about that shortly. So yeah, yep. no, I think um, I'm I'm really hopeful uh, that we can get uh, Ros involved with that. Yeah, so uh, that's, uh, there's a good chance. Very good. There's a good chance. Very good. So, uh, so the. Uh, yeah, the next thing for me is um, I'm thinking about car gardens and waybills mm-hmm. and um, looking at it. I've got my pockets to do it so I can put all the things in. I had to yes. find a supplier because, you know, the, the normal stationary suppliers don't make A7 pockets anymore. Alas, what's happening? So I found, I found a plastics company, which I believe is local, and they actually uh, they produce them. So. Very cool. So I've got, got 400 of those on hand. And um, that's a case of making all the cards and doing the schedules, of course. Certainly. Mm. Well, our part of the world's been in the news associated with flooding. Your part of the world has been in the news associated with Elon Musk. So maybe you'll make him into a model railroader yet. Sorry, I missed that one. Not you, missed, sure you missed what... Elon? Jim and I had a long conversation while he was here associated with what has happened with the South Australia power situation. And Elon oh, Musk was a local oh, yeah, guy. Said uh, he's going to fix that up. And if he can't fix it up, then... It's all free yeah. or something like that. Yeah, he's told our uh, uh, Premier he'll have a 100, 100 megawatt system installed in 100 days. Very good. So That, that yeah. would be interesting to see. Mind you, the writer from the data signing the contract. Yes. So a member yeah. of your crew that I follow for other reasons, Chris, how's his layout going? Yes, we've had a couple of obsessions at Chris's. Um, we had one little disaster where the, there was a, a three-way point underneath at the throat of the hidden yards was under another main station died mm. the um the uh, closure rail decided to come off of the uh, off the throw bar mm. so, um, yeah we had to take out a section of the baseboard above it and, re- and he's relayed that now and it's two separate points now very good <laughs> so yeah he's um he's currently in canberra but uh, mm-hmm. we've got an opposition coming up at his place in about four weeks i think and um, he's told me there's something he wants me to address with JMRI uh, at his place. So, but um, now the JMRI team, I had a, a glitch before Christmas when they put out one of the things and, and it wasn't starting correctly. And I'll tell you what, they were very, very good. Oh, yeah. The, te- the technical guys did it and they said, here, go get the daily build from here and see if this works. Test this, test that. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Yes, pretty good. I, um, I have one issue. I, I had the... MTHPAs, which I was going to use for my um, daylight, 
and when we put them on the layout after I got them programmed properly, I actually managed to program ProtoSound 3 with the DCC speed table. Gosh. So they matched the others, so that was good. The only problem was when we put them on the layout, the two locos were drawing 1.8 amps. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. So that was killing killing my booster, which is a 2.8 amp continuous booster yeah. with everything else that was going on. So um, they've been gutted and they've now got uh, lock sounds. And... Interesting. Interesting. So very, very expensive locos, though. Yes. <laughs> Are you attending the Narrow Gauge Convention just to catch up with uh, people? Yes, I am. I'm, I'm hoping to go to Jim Wars Clinic. Wonderful. Yeah, so well, yeah, Peter Reeves from Terralgon, who you've had on the show once before. Certainly. And Ross and I, we've taken a cabin in the caravan park over there. Wonderful. And, uh, we're going to the full show, including the Ballerine steam train trip on the Monday. Great. Well, I'm and looking then, forward to fo- Facebook updates. I'm looking forward to a lot of photographs. Okay. We'll see what we can do. Yes. And, and then I'm going out to Peter's for a week, and we're we're going to... Uh, well, Ros is going back on the Overland, mm-hmm. back to Adelaide, on the Tuesday morning, because that stops at Geelong. Yep. And uh, um, I'm going up with Peter back to his place, and we're going to have a week of um, little Arduino projects. Wonderful. So um, I'm branching out. Been, I've joined the YouTube Railroad, Model Railroad group uh-huh. uh, where they've got a uh, an Arduino um, tutorial going on for, for Model Railroads. So that's actually worth doing it. They're actually having a beginner run each of the sessions and they're fortnightly. They run for about two hours. Right. Um, but everything's done at beginner rates and they've got two mentor programmers that are sitting on the side. To provide, you know, expert advice. Wonderful. And, yeah, no, I was finding it really interesting. So I'm actually going to, for the first time, I think I might even use some of the internal timers and things, Ooh. which is a little bit more complicated than I've attempted with the uh, launchpad. But uh, but the interrupts, they're teaching us how to do interrupts and how to do uh, um, serial extensions using you know, SBI or ASPI or something. Mm-hmm. So you've got two two pins and you can get hundreds of inputs and outputs. So Wonderful. Yeah, so I, I'm not a bit keen to learn a, bit, learn a bit of that. Definitely. Well, I mean, for a layout your size, the ability to do anything with microcontrollers, microprocessors, I mean, signalling, you've got a bunch of stuff that would be very useful to control. Yeah, well, I've made my own signal, signal yeah. PCB, so um, yes. it won't do that. Certainly, well, I'm not, I, I was very taken by Seth Newman's um, moving gates which yep. is chemical plant. So I figured I could do that at my refinery. Definitely. So that's that's I've got my servo motors already. Very cool. And I've got some probe minis already. So Very <laughs> all ready to go. go Terrific. To work. Hmm. So yeah, now a lot quite a lot happening here and um so we're um Monday night groups still still meeting. Um Barry doesn't still hasn't found a house a new house where he's gonna build his layout. He'll get there. It's only been five years. Yes. <laughs> yes. He was lucky when you were here. <laughs> Very good. Very good. Well, Jim, right, well, always like a pleasure chatting. Please yep. stay on the line. If anything comes up, you know what to do. Well, do, Tom. Nice to D- meet you. So, good day to everybody else, at, uh, Richard and... Uh, and Most Matt. definitely. And Jamie, of course. Okay. Certainly. Take care. I'd like to welcome back on Jamie Fenton. Jamie, you and I have been in some correspondence associated with a 
a group of the model rail community that I've found, discovered through doing model rail radio. And it's such a wonderful thing for me to, I don't know, give back to this community because I find it a really interesting community. And as I say, I think I've met five folks so far and I know of a couple of folk in the UK as well. And when I met Barry Silverthorne in Oregon, I said to him, there's this really interesting like subgroup of the model rail community that I think is worthy of a documentary. And he said, well, that's funny because I have documentary friends that'd be able to do this. So kind of 18 months potted on. And then I got contacted by a researcher and I pointed the researcher in your direction. Can you introduce this community, Jamie? Um, let's see. <laughs> the community, well, um, as I, as I was saying, Jen, Jennifer and I have, you know, been active in model railroad clubs around and I've, I've been an actor in the, active in the transgender community for even longer. And needless to say, people find out that I like trains. And so <laughs> we often find, uh, common ground there as well as in this, uh, you know, uh, alternate community. Uh, there's several really famous, uh, people who, um, are, you know, uh, that are, are sort of the GLBT world, like Lucius Beebe and so forth. So, um, we're at one point, I even started a small group for transgender, um, rail fans. We called transgender.org, but we've got about five members. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so we're, we'll find out more about it. I mean, there's like our model railroad club in the South Bay. He's got sort of a contingent yes. of gay people and stuff. And, you know, so it's pretty kind I think it's a common thing for people who are uh, maybe a little bit different when they're growing up and they get turned on to trains and they carry it forward like most of us have. Yes. But, you know, sometimes a little bit of a hiatus. <laughs> so we'll see. Um, yes. Okay. I mean, the thing I found interesting was just by doing model rail radio, I obviously created a community. And one of the things that the documentary researcher asked me is how big do I think the, I mean, the term transgender is the self-identified term, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I had it as a domain name for a while. <laughs> yeah. Just to, so just the transgender community, I've had a unique perspective on this thing because obviously people come, they want to talk to me. <laughs> so, I mean, the fact that I've met five people in this community and know of two others, and just in terms of the size of the participants of Model Rail Radio, indicates to me that this actually could be quite a reasonable sized community. I mean, you've collected a group in the Bay Area, uh, but I know folk obviously in Australia as well and also in the UK. So, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting associated with actually potentially bringing folks together in this community, but also getting a sense of how big the community could be, because I don't think anyone's actually done a surveying of it previously, right? Oh, I don't, yeah, it's, well, it's, they're finally starting to do surveys of this for, for transgender people in general, uh, just in the last few years. And, you know, you have the usual problem, which is that well, most people don't want to be found out, or at least haven't until recently. And so it's hard to get good, uh, survey data. But, hmm. um, as I say, like, I, like, there's a leader in the transgender community who's a very generous donor and stuff who's named Julie Johnson. Who uh, turned out to be the president and man general manager of the Illinois Railroad Museum, mm. <laughs> and she uh, sort of transitioned publicly and then went through a horrible uh, political battle at the Railroad Museum, which had her not have resigned for some of the positions, but she still was supported it and so forth. And I could think of a I, I could I, I know all kinds of other people I could talk about, but I shouldn't because they're not, they're not like completely out of the closet yet. But you'd be astonished. 
how many people that you know if, uh, uh, you know you would know you would probably know their names in one context. You know, you know, they'd be rather famous in this other one too. Certainly, certainly. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the thing that really interested me. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, Ros and Pam in South Australia were the first couple that I met. And I've got a lot of time. I mean, Ross came and stayed with me. I've got a lot of time for Ross, and obviously Pam passed away, unfortunately. But, yeah, it just struck me that this is a... I mean, I work at Netflix, and I watch LGBT documentaries, and they're very... They're rarely light-hearted. They're rarely about people's hobbies. They're rarely about these kind of things. I mean, obviously, this is a community that has suffered a lot of violence, a lot of persecution, and most of the documentaries focus on that. So I do another podcast with an LGBT activist. And when I mentioned this community to her, she was very excited because most of the documentaries associated with LGBT folk are pretty heart-wrenching. And this actually is potentially a very lighthearted but interesting, uh, you know, surveying of a community that I've been very lucky to be able to discover through doing Model Rail Radio, of all things. So, yeah. Yes, well, hopefully the, the, the there'll be more uh, consciousness of this emerging. Is I, I think I was t- t- talking about uh, well, Lucius Beebe as being kind of our <laughs> patron saint, if you will, mm. who quite quite fam- you know, famous author and rail fan for uh, who's also gay and got to basically travel around the United States in a private railway car, <laughs> uh, taking lots of pictures and stuff. So he's sort of one of our mentors. We'll see. I mean, I, I suspect as people. Uh, learn more about it and uh you know maybe eventually there'll be some sort of uh special interest group of some kind or something certainly well yeah i mean i hope that they will be able to travel i mean i hope they'll be able to get down to australia and i hope they'll be able to see the folk in the uk as well because i think the perspective of this hobby as being i mean when i started model rail radio in particular through the elections uh, because I'm friends with a lot of people on Facebook. I appreciate that this hobby has a broad set of political perspectives. There's not a, there's no typical model railroader, right? There's basically a variety of people that all love model railroading and they come from all particular walks of life and all particular perspectives. But one of the things that was interesting, I mean, I talked to people in the community about this documentary. I've been talking about it for a couple of years now. In particular, because we have a number of participants that would traditionally be considered, you know, conservative in their various perspectives. And what I found fascinating was that they had no objection when I raised the concept of this documentary to them. In fact, they knew people in their clubs and what have you who were transgender or gay. And it seemed to be a very leveling thing. Like a lot of the stuff that you see in the media and these kind of things associated with you know, marginalization and obviously, as I said, with the documentaries that aren't particularly pleasant, model railroading seems to be a great unifier as well to introduce this community to a wide variety of folk too. So very interesting. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, uh, I, uh, as I say, my, uh, it'd be interesting to see, how, see who, who they can find for this. <laughs> uh, because it's, as I say, there's a lot of people that are sort of a little bit, uh, yeah. uh, it's a little bit, a little secretive about it, but I, I'll, have to, I'll have to send out some uh, some uh, emails to some of my friends and Definitely. see how much they, their perspective has changed. Definitely. But uh, yeah, that'd be, uh, that'd be, that'd be, you know, I, I, I think it'd be wonderful to have something that isn't just about uh, uh, misery uh, yes. come out because that's, 
it's kind of tiresome. <laughs> so, okay, well, we'll, we'll I'll go, pre- I'll go talk to the uh, researcher, I guess. So I think they're just must be getting the project started. Yeah. My perspective was, I was not the person to talk to. They should approach people such as yourself. And I gave a, a few other mm-hmm. folk that they could contact, but they wanted mm-hmm. to talk to me because they, I guess they just wanted to get a <laughs> sense of like who this crazy guy who originally contacted them and said, make this documentary was. And that was actually really wonderful. I spoke to the uh, researcher, uh, we're now friends on Facebook, uh, and she really got the emotion that I wanted to set with this thing associated with it being just a really interesting... I mean, the fact that it's a self-selecting community, there are a whole series of kind of sociological phenomena here, which I find really interesting as well, because there seems to be a higher number of folk than you would normally expect just through random surveying. Like, it seems to be a greater... so. There's a variety of things that they can actually yes. explore through this. Yeah, well, there's there's some other uh, sort of notorious uh, areas where we're wildly overrepresented, like in video game designers. <laughs> yes, yes, there's yes. one uh, one area. There are a couple of others that are like that where you'll just Certainly. be astonished. So uh, we'll see, we'll see. But in terms of your layout, let's talk more practical mm-hmm. model railroading things. What is going on <laughs> oh. with it currently? Well, we, we've sort of uh, almost have it all wrapped up, I'd say. You know, the, uh, there's more, a little bit more to do in terms of scenery and so forth. But it's uh, we've been sort of uh, not doing a lot of model railroading as much as like studying music and stuff lately. So we're sort of in a bit of a lull. Well, so music what? is a wonderful thing, and the nature of this <laughs> hobby is it can be picked up. And I know you started a new job recently, so you know, model <laughs> railroading is always there, right? Oh, it sure is, and <laughs> Jennifer is still working working on it, little dribbles and drabs, and so we'll. Uh, oh, I think hopefully we'll have some more layout tours and stuff because we sure love having you and uh, Jim and Roz come by. Yeah, we've got to get some of those folk from the East Bay over as well. I I can't understand how Malcolm hasn't actually come and visited your layout yet. That makes no sense to me. No, no, it hasn't. But uh, we'll see. Well, so we certainly should encourage. Um, other, I don't know if, if, if any of the other people that are on this show, uh, listening to the show now, or you could co- contact, uh, if you want to be part of this here, let, uh, let me know or uh, let Tom know. We'll see what we can do. Certainly. Jamie, always a pleasure to chat with you. Always a pleasure to get you involved with these projects as well. I, mm-hmm. Jamie and I first met at a talk that I gave at Netflix associated with artificial life, which is my other passion. Jamie and I, on a number of levels, we've got, we've got, shared interests. So always a pleasure to chat with you, Jamie. Good thing. Yep. I'd like to welcome back on Gregory Baker. When we last spoke, you had created a module for a club, which kind of invigorated the local club. What's, how's that going on? What's going on with your model railroading hobby? Well, things are going pretty good here up in the uh, Northwest. Um, the uh, Fremo's kind of taken on a life of its own. The uh, guys out of Spokane have really taken to it. Uh, I've got actually a couple of modules that I'm going to sell to the local train club because I'm not able to participate as much because of my work schedule. And I've been traveling a lot. So I've started a few projects, started a few modules, and I figured be better to uh, sell them, make a little money, and get them out of my garage so I can do something else. Hmm. Interesting. So how's that going? 
Oh, pretty good. It's just the uh, having the time to actually finish them up. Um, and all I'm all I'm trying to do is just get track and the basic wiring done. But uh, it's been a very hectic year uh, so far, so I've not been able to actually get them completed. But I I guaranteed them that they'd be done by the end of the month because we have a setup here in uh, Lewiston, Idaho. So I uh, need to have them, or we're going to uh, have a big gap in the layout. That's not going to work very well. No, no, it isn't. So what's the show in Idaho, in Lewiston, Idaho, do you say? Yes, it's just our local uh, annual train show here. Um, the local club puts it on. Um, kind of a more of a flea market style train show. And then uh, the Fremo, the last three, well, this will be our third year, uh, has built a rather substantial layout. They keep taking more and more space over. So uh, it's, it's been a pretty good little weekend, good show, and uh, everybody enjoys just having an opportunity to run their trains and run on the Primo layout. Very cool. Very cool. So it's kind of bring and run kind of affair. Yes, exactly. So when you last called in, you were talking very much associated with the club and getting folks involved and that kind of stuff. Is that is that still working out? Are people still building modules, or what's the situation currently? Yeah, uh, there's still quite a few people uh, building modules and, and joining in. Um, so we, you know, there's a big jump at there at the beginning. I think we went from, you know, one or two of us to, I think there's around 20 or 30 uh, between Spokane and, and Northern Idaho that are building modules. And every show, there's usually one or two people that kind of show interest. Um, you, you know, oh, that's really neat. And then you never see see them again. Uh, <laughs> but uh we are getting one or two probably new participants uh, every, I don't know, three or four months. We're getting somebody else interested in, in building a module. That's still pretty good. I wouldn't be ashamed. I mean, I think the nature of anything is people tend to get interested in stuff, but the people that make the commitment, there's always a ratio between those that say they're going to be interested and those that are actually going to make the commitment to do it. So I think you're probably encouraging them in the right direction. Well, and that's, you know, that's what I've noticed, too, is you'll so show somebody free moment, like, this is great. And, you know, they've got other projects, and then they come back two years later, and they want the information and, you know, just being there to be able to provide it to them. And that's what we do. So it's, it's worked out pretty well. So in terms of where you are, Idaho, I'm just trying to think, when's the next national going to be in your neck of the woods? Will it be in two years' time, three years' time? I think the closest one is going to be in, I don't want to say Santa Clara. Hmm. And I think that's in, let's see, 2018 is Kansas City, and it might be 2019 or 2020 that's going to be on the West Coast. Interesting. I should probably now, track I that myself. Plan, yeah. <laughs> I do plan on going to Kansas City, mm -hmm. uh, and I do plan on bringing a small Fremo module cool. with me. So. Uh, I've got, uh, that's kind of where I learned the Fremo. Uh, all my friends are still out there. So trying to get out back to Kansas city mm. and meet up with them and, uh, at least have a little bit of our Idaho Fremo out there would be uh, fun to add to the sign too. So I figured it'd be a good, good, good excuse to go to Kansas city. Certainly. Certainly. And in terms of the nationals, is it a case where you, I guess you can find whatever module setup is there and just let them know that you're coming, right? That's the way it works. Yeah, it, it's been set up, uh, I don't know how many years it's going on now, but the, the all they do is you sign up on the Yahoo group, they just change the date and the location, and whoever's the person in charge just starts monitoring it and kind of changing the names on it. But once you signed up for that uh, uh, national Yahoo, the NTS, Fremo, mm -hmm. on the 
you just get the information. So I'm, I'm getting information for Orlando, but I'm not going. So I've just been deleting them, but, uh, it's there if you're, if anybody's interested. Hmm. So we have a few listeners in your area, folks who are interested. How's the easiest way to make contact with you? Uh, we have a webpage, so it's the, uh, Idaho-free-mo at, uh, weebly.com. And then you can look us up on Facebook too. It's, uh, just Idaho Freemo. Um, we're actually up to like 75 or 80 people that are, uh, on our Facebook page. So that's always that's good. cool. That's really cool. So in terms of those folk, do you know most of them or are they just, as you say, people that are interested that might get involved? Uh, I know. Oh, I'd say probably 25% of them I actually know. Uh, we get people from all over the place, uh, from other Fremo clubs. Like, I do the same thing. I'm in, in, uh, a, I don't know, half a dozen Fremo groups on Facebook just to see what other people are doing, get ideas, communicate back and forth, share, share processes and get inspiration. So a lot of these guys are already involved in Fremo. There's a lot of people also that are just like trains. So you can, you know, they'll just like to see what you're doing. So. Um, that, that's a, a good, good spread of people on those pages though. Very interesting. So in terms of cycling through your modules, in terms of getting them built and getting them sold, as you noted, to make space for more modules, what's, what's the plan? Well, I have an eight year old son and a four year old daughter and Remo is <laughs> great, but it's not really conducive to kids mm-hmm. uh, at that age. They, you know, they want to see trains go in circles. Mm-hmm. So my next uh, my next plan, and we've discussed this. So we're going to build a four bay layout with the intention that it's going to actually be two eight foot by twenty four inch modules that will be placed back to back, so that uh, you can operate it as a four bay layout. But at a later date, we can take it apart and make it a, maybe a shelf layout out of it, or maybe even convert it into some sort of a hybrid freemo module. So it's the aim, basically, to get your children involved with the hobby from a very young age, basically, to get them involved with potentially scenery, running trains, this kind of stuff? And that, and that's the thought, too. My son's shown an interest, and we're working on actually a few projects right now. Cool. And originally I had said that he could have one of those Fremo modules, but, you know, it's just a straight piece of track, and there's no switches on it, and there's nothing to do. And I was sitting there uh, looking at it going, you know, I think it's going to hold his interest more and also uh, his sister's interest more if they can actually see a train go somewhere and actually do something and, and they can actually be more involved in the whole process of building the building a layout all the way from uh, bench work to scenery. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I was hoping that Ron Kleist would call in tonight and he's one of these people and there are a few, I mean, you know, there are a few in this hobby that involve their children in such a way that the children actually become really empowered, like become model railroaders basically through this. Always interesting the way folks get their children involved in the hobby, too. So I'm interested to hear more about that as it progresses. Get these modules done, make some room, and uh, we'll get started on that next project. Very good. Very good. So as you listen to Model Rail Radio, are there any things that we could be talking about? Any topics that you'd like to hear more about? Oh, as always, Tom, you do a great job of uh, facilitating everything, and and, and the variety is always great. Uh, I think we do... Or you do a great job of getting everything covered and just keep up the great work. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know what to do. Stay on the line. If anything comes up, please uh, please jump back in. Always a pleasure chatting. All right. Thanks.
I'd like to welcome on Martin Jenkins. Martin, I don't believe we've had the opportunity to chat previously. Is that correct? That's correct. It's a long-time listener, first-time caller, I guess. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I can tell by your accent that you might be a, a party to Model Rail Radio in an area that may be familiar to me. Would you like to introduce a model railroading hobby? Yes, well, I'm based in Queensland on the Gold Coast in uh, in Australia. I don't particularly model one particular scale or anything. I've got N scale, HO, OM30 and G scale in the front yard. So as my wife says, it's not a hobby, it's an addiction. The HO layout I'm running in the... Uh, I'm building a shed at the back of the, the house, which is all fully lined and air-conditioned, and that's got a HO Melbourne 83 layout in it. Ooh. Very nice. Uh, in N scale, I do BNSF in the modern era. Gosh. Uh, o in 30, we've got Puffing Billy, and uh, G scale's all European. Wow. So you really are covering every aspect of the hobby. Uh, yes, yes. I'll try to anyway. <laughs> well, so many options here. When did you get into Puffing Billy? Uh, I grew up in Melbourne, and I uh, I actually grew up in Ferntree Gully. I went to Ferntree Gully Technical School, which was the uh, major school that did all the work for Putnam Billy before they built their workshops in the seventies. Certainly. Certainly. So I kind of my brother-in-law actually lives in uh, Selby, and Putnam Billy cuts through his backyard. So we've had a long affection with uh, with the little railroad up there, and uh, and uh, therefore when they brought out the Owen Thirty models, I thought. I've got to get a few of these, and well, yeah. I've got to start putting the layout together. So we've got plans for an exhibition layout of uh, Menzies Creek Station in the modern era. Nice. Very nice. So do you are you part of the narrow-gauge community in Australia, or are you just a lone modeler? Oh, I'm a bit of a lone modeler, and I'm a, I am a member of the narrow-gauge community. Uh, <laughs> one of my good friends is, you've probably heard of him before, Laurie McLean. He lives up the road from me. Certainly. Uh so we kind of knock about together. Um, uh, my background is I'm an electronics engineer, so I do a lot of Arduino, Raspberry Pi, mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and automation programming. Yes, though, I've, I've always had a fascination for, for narrow gauge, for the narrow-minded set. I'm actually <laughs> heading down to the uh, the uh, narrow gauge convention in a couple of weeks down in Geelong. One. And I've got, I think I'm doing two clinics down there, so. Gosh. So you're not a lone wolf modeler at all if you're doing... Oh, you mean you're attending the clinics as opposed to doing them? Or are you doing them? No, I'm actually uh, facilitating the clinics. I'm doing one on um, the new Raspberry Pi and Mm -hmm. the new Scrog board that's come out that plugs directly into the Raspberry Pi 3. Wonderful. Uh, And I'm doing one on... um, There was a uh, a very rich chap that lived out in southern New South Wales and had a very large O-scale collection um, doing a... uh, a presentation on on his layout and his uh, and uh, his collection, which was uh, Mick, Mick Williams' the mm. tea house that was in Wollongong. Mm. So let's talk about Melbourne in the early eighties and modelling Melbourne in the early eighties in HO because that just to me sounds absolutely wonderful. What? How long have you modelled Melbourne in the early eighties and how big is your layout? Okay, the layout is in a room that's eight metres by five metres. Okay. Um, it's a triple deck layout. We've got uh, the bottom deck is the format yard and the Melbourne City Loop. So I've got to have one station. It's all under construction at the moment. Okay. So it, has, it hasn't been running, but that's going to have uh, Flagstaff Station, which is uh, one of the Melbourne City Loop stations there. 
the middle deck has got uh, part of Spencer Street Station, the Dynan Engine Facility, uh, and Web Dock, mm. um, but n- not in their entirety, just uh, s- snippets of. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea with the dock scene is I've got a couple of those Helgen um, DCC uh, gantry cranes. Oh, wonderful. So the, the idea is when we have off sessions, you've actually got to switch the containers out of the intermodal trains when they come through the dock uh, instead of switching cars out. Uh, we've got the Ford factory, which mm. is sort of down on the Geelong line, and we've got the Geelong cement factory. Mm-hmm. And then we've got some urban stations through there which feed up onto the third deck, and then the third deck is three um, urban stations which are on the electrified network. So we've got uh, Glen Waverley, Baronia, and Bayswater. Ooh, very nice. The suburb, suburbs of Melbourne. So Certainly. The idea, the idea in the end is um, using JMRI or railroad controller, um, the computer will be sending freight traffic out through the layout from the form-up yards at the bottom, and the idea is you've got to run to a timetable the electrics, the Harris's and the Tate's from the um, suburban stations on the third deck down through the city loop and then back up again. So the layout will have full uh, occupancy detection on there and mm. um, signalling. And that's all done through Arduino and JMRI. Wonderful. I've got to ask this question because when I think Melbourne in the early 80s, the fashion, and here I use the term loosely, is so iconic. Can you source HO figures with, like, mullets and, you know, <laughs> looking like they're actually in the early 80s? Is this something you've thought about? We, we have, actually. There's one of the, one of the chaps that uh, has given me a hand. He's, he's quite uh, the dab hand at figurines, and he's Wonderful. been using modelling clay and extending the back, so we do have some with mullets and, and uh, big flared jeans and, oh, yeah. uh, and, uh, and all those kind of things and lurid pastel colours. Oh, beautiful. Uh, but, but the reason I picked 1983 is that era in uh, in Melbourne, you had both V-Line, the blue and gold library. You had V, uh, sorry, V-Line, the tangerine and uh, grey library. Mm. You had VR, blue and gold. Oh, you yeah. had four-wheeled wagons and you still had guards vans. Yes. So, uh, so iconic. That, yeah, that, that year kind of, I thought, well, you've got everything in that, so... And the teacup library just came out in that uh, that uh, era, so I've got some teacup rolling stock, and they're all Amazing. nice and pristine, like they've just come out of the uh, paint shops. Man, this is a layout that is so iconic for me on so many different levels. I mean, I think Melbourne in the early 1980s, that has to be... There's so many possibilities there. I'm glad you've got your mullet sorted out. You're going to have to organise, you know, tiny beer bottles and things like that as well. I mean, I think that period of time... I'm trying to think... There are there are films from Melbourne from that time period. I'm trying to think... I just can't think of any of the names associated with them, but it's a very iconic period. Is this a layout that is going to be a featured layout? Is this a layout that you're going to uh, potentially put in magazines or something, Facebook page, etc.? Is there any way that I can follow this layout as it's created? I've got a YouTube channel, and we're mm. putting videos together on the on the YouTube channel. Um, but I um, I dabble a lot with the guys over at YouTube Model Builders. Mm. So um, so there's always pictures of it on there and and bits and pieces as we're going along. We had the first track laying ceremony last night, so uh, yeah, a few beers were consumed, and a train actually ran on the first part of the form up yard. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> a golden fluid spike as opposed to a golden spike, but very nice. Exactly. Very nice. It was a, a Victorian better spike. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Martin, I hope you call back in the future because this sounds like an amazing opportunity to chat about creating a prototype that needs to be created. Thank you very much for calling in. I know you've been a long-time listener. Is, is there stuff that we're missing on Model Rail Radio that you'd like to hear more of? No, I just like the varied subjects that come up and um, the fact you're speaking to people all over the world and what other people are doing. That's great. Real pleasure chatting, Martin. Please stay on the line. If anything comes up, you know what to do. Great to have you. All right, thanks a lot. I'd like to welcome back on Dan Pickup. Dan, back to back with Martin Jenkins. Do you know Martin? I have met Martin uh, a couple of times, actually, from previous conventions and stuff um, right. and attended some of his clinics when he's been down to Melbourne and had a chat about JMI programming and, and the like. So he's quite a knowledgeable guy if you need to uh, get stuck into him about some electronic sort of aspects of the hobby. So, yeah, have met him previously. Terrific. And Melbourne in the early 80s, what you would have been five, six, seven, that kind of age? Uh, no, I'm a little bit older than that. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm 42, so... Okay, uh, so iconic. I, I, I would have been like yeah, uh, 10, 12, something like that, but I, right. I would have been living in Adelaide during those sort of oh, periods. Oh, okay, so. I forgot that. I'm sorry, I forgot you were an Adelaide boy. But, uh, so. Yeah, I um, ended up over in Melbourne from about mid-20s, I think it was. So, okay, um, okay. Yeah. You never travelled to Melbourne through the early 80s? Uh, I did come through as a child with um, you know, holidays with my parents and um, can remember it was quite a contrast moving from you know, the Adelaide city to the Melbourne city where it was oh, yeah. um, quite a, a bit daunting when you come into the, the skyscraper uh, streets of Melbourne compared to Adelaide yes. where you know, the highest building would have been probably five stories I think at the time. Certainly. So, But yeah, it uh, did, did have memories back then of riding some of the Melbourne rail network and trams and, and the like. So, um, yeah, I have, I must confess I don't actually ride trains all that much often these days, uh, apart from preservation stuff. It's a sad so, thing in the hobby. I lamented when I caught up with Andy Dixon. I love riding by trains. In fact, I go out of my way sometimes not to fly and go by train. And in particular in Australia, much to the chagrin of my family, I actually really enjoy travelling by train still to this day. So... There are still some of us out here that enjoy travelling by train, but uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny. If I have a um, like uh, where I live in Geelong's about just over an hour from from Melbourne, so mm -hmm. uh, you know, if I have a whole day planned where it's you know a bit of a shopping trip down around Melbourne, I may catch the the train down to that, but I probably only find my way down to Melbourne half a dozen times a year if I'm lucky. Okay. Um, and so, and where I am, I'm, I'm local to everything else. So I really don't have much need for public transport. Um, Certainly, which is lucky in one way, but um, there, there is an aspect which I suppose you're, you're missing out on in a sense. So, yes. Well, when I'm in your part of the world, which will probably be sometime in the next couple of years, I will uh, certainly uh, take some public transport up to your part of the world because I'd really look forward right. to meeting you. My father is actually moving to Melbourne this year, so. Uh, he'll be there for a few years at least, and I've got a wide variety of friends and family in the area, so I'm really looking forward to spending some quality time in Melbourne. You have more important things, however, to talk about Model Rail Radio, the Narrow Gauge Convention, coming up very shortly. Yeah, 
Yeah, it is sneaking up. <laughs> it's, it's been quite a while since we had a chat, and I've, I've probably been meaning to jump on, I reckon, for the last eight months. Yeah, but I've missed you a happens, couple of times. You've gotten on the call a couple of times, and we've had people talking. Well, the, the last yeah. time I tried to get on the call was that, that inconvenient time that my computer decided that was the ideal moment to do some massive Windows update. Of course. Which ended up knocking out my computer for about three hours while I chose yes. to do that. Um, and since then, every show has sort of seemed to have clashed with whether I've been away at an exhibition or NRA meetings or other sort of personal yep. sort of bits and pieces. So Certainly. finally found a time where I've got nothing else to do at the minute. Definitely. So. Let me know but, uh, what's been going on in the world of Dan Picard. Uh, Modelling-wise, uh, I have to admit, not a hell of a lot, to be honest. Um, uh, with my my role and sort of what's been organising with this Australian Narrow Gauge Convention, that has been uh, quite a time-consuming effort. Mm-hmm. And I had, uh, I had grand plans of what I was meant to be bringing along to this show that was going to be a, a, the little Welsh layout, which we'd probably discussed yes, quite some time certainly. ago. Yeah, definitely. I had plans for a, a large diorama and a structure and also the little 90 mil challenge piece, which we've got as the contest mm. specialties. Um, at this point, I'm, I actually finally did about 20 minutes work on a 90 mil challenge this morning. <laughs> <And it's, laughs> My my studio space is quite difficult to get into at the minute because there's oh, so nice. much other stuff stored in there. Yeah, um, the ply so, yeah. yeah, there's just boxes and bits and pieces crammed in everywhere, and uh, it's a bit tricky to uh, get in there actually do any modelling at the moment. So hmm. um, uh, my my place has become quite the storage place for everything narrow gauge convention related. Seeing I live probably less than a kilometre from where we're hosting the venue, so certainly. Certainly. So you were being descended upon, and we've talked to Jim Gifford, obviously, we've met Martin. Um, we've got Jim Gore coming down, obviously the professor. We've got a wide variety of previous model rail radio participants that are going to be heading to the Narrow Gauge Convention. I lament that I cannot actually attend this year, because this would have been the year to attend from my perspective, just in terms of the quality of folk that you have presenting. For folks listening in, if I get this audio out in time, what can people look forward to at the Narrow Gauge Convention? As it turns out, a very full weekend. So <laughs> um, uh, uh, we've still been like confirming and taking new interested sort of you know, attractions up until only uh, I still had more traders being putting their hand up saying they want to be involved like less than a fortnight ago, and we're about five weeks away from the event. So. But today, I think I've got about 17 displays and layouts. Uh, that includes as a, uh, people like bringing along 3D printers for displays or be uh, DCC sort of programming tables. Um, Prof will be there doing some of his layout sounds of demonstrations. Uh, there's just general modelling and like diorama displays. Uh, one of the big displays we've got been lucky enough to put together is uh, this Vulcan Veil collection, which I'm not sure if you've saw on the, on the Facebook, but mm. uh, we've got a one of the awards we have is the Rick Richardson Award. Mm-hmm. Rick was a um, sort of fairly famous uh, Melbourne-based modeler uh, back in his era, but he died maybe some 20 years ago, and he had this uh, brilliant layout called the Vulcan Veil uh, Narrow Gauge Railway which is just a fictitious uh, mining railway, uh, but very cleverly built and very beautifully modelled. And the layout itself was disassembled, uh, I'd have to guess, probably at least 10, 15 years ago now, something off the top of my head. And I wasn't 
aware what had happened to most of the layout. And as it turns out, a lot of it was preserved by one of his sons. Uh, so we've been lucky enough to pull that collection back together. Uh, Ooh, the layout itself nice. obviously isn't up on display, mm-hmm. uh, but all the major structures and all the rolling stock and locomotives from, from the layout have been preserved and beautifully That's preserved. That's amazing. Um, and I've, I've been lucky enough to have it sitting on my lounge room floor for the last four months studying it uh, very closely. And it's, it's quite inspirational modelling, this stuff. Um, uh, I've gone over it that many times and, you know, it's something that I'd only previously seen in photographs or magazine articles, and there'll be a lot of other modelers out there, much the same. So, to be able to sort of pull it together as a you know in the flesh or display is something fairly special. And um, yeah, I know a lot of modelers when they will see it will either relive some really great memories of you know when they had the opportunity to go down to mm. Rick's place and enjoy the Vulcan Vale, or see it for the first time and yes. be be quite blown away. And um, I know I've looked at it since it's been in you know, here stored at my place and considered a number of times that, well, geez, the old Vulcanvale layout was roughly about the same size as what my modelling studio space is. And it's like I had, you know, crossed my mind a number of times saying I, I had all this you know, stuff here. I could measure every square angle there is on, on this model. Certainly. And consider, you know, building my version of it. But it's like, yeah. uh, I just, I, I could. There's no way I could probably come close to building something as the standard of what Rick has, and I know I wouldn't do it justice. So, um, so let's talk about this uh, in terms of the test of time, because the yeah. thing that interests me, I mean, certainly there are historical modelers who passed away twenty, thirty years ago. Yep. And in general, model railroading terms, styles have changed, right? But within yep. narrow gauge, there's still a legacy of modeling techniques which worked remarkably well 20, 30 years ago, still work pretty well. How has this layout, or how are the models on this layout, more importantly, survived the test of time? Oh, brilliantly. Like I, like I said, I, I, I didn't realise how much of this had been preserved, and, and it's been stored um, in... One of Rick's sons uh, owns a store up in like central Victoria, and he's had it in display in the window. Um just as sort of loose model sitting on whatever you know, random chunks of timber or bricks and stuff to prop it all up because it was all built on a side of a hill. Um, but uh, quality-wise, I mean, a lot, a lot of it's like um, uh, there's lots of brick papers and the likes used in large factories, and they they look as good now as what they probably did back, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, the, the the quality of it is exceptional. Like, I'm, I've gone over and i can't find crooked build lines and, and the likes so uh very clever modeling and very well executed and um, what little things i've enjoyed is there's things on these models which a lot of a uh, lot of people who would have perhaps experienced it when it was you know the layout you know up mm. and running in, in, in rick's era um there, there are pieces behind the models and behind the structures and stuff which have really proven to me how much of a craftsman this guy was uh, for example, there's a large factory unit on, on here, which is about a four-story brick structure. And, of course, the back panel of it is removable so that mm. you know one can get into the – to change things like light globes and, you know, fix wiring and the likes. Now, most common people would probably, you know, stick a scrap of timber on there, just something to mask the back of it. But there's even, like, craftsmen gone into the little – 
timber knob, which he's mm-hmm. fashioned as like the locking device. And you know, I know I personally would have just used any scrap of timber I got, but no, this has actually <laughs> been shaped down, and it's it's just little features like that. It's like, yep, this guy was, you know dead serious about you know certainly uh maintaining his craftsmanship from from front to back and inside out of his models so um yeah it's been yeah just uh very inspiring sort of modeling to have sitting at close hand to to enjoy and looking forward to having all the attendees have a chance to get up close and personal and have a chat about it Oh yeah, and uh, we're hoping. Oh, actually, his his son Grant will be coming down at some point during the Wonderful. weekend and spend a bit of time chatting with some people um, about Rick as as he was as a modeler and as a father and uh, what what he would have enjoyed being his son growing up, you know, enjoying his modeling because his his son was involved with a little bit of modeling as well. Uh, not not so much these days because he's far more sort of busy as an adult with um, mm-hmm. real world sort of activities. So he was quite a competent model himself. So he he had learned a lot from his son. So looking forward to him coming down to see how the display all goes together. And um, yeah, it's um, it, it's a, a feature I'm certainly proud to have at our convention. Yes. So no, this is amazing. This is amazing stuff. It's interesting actually that you note it was in a window and. It wasn't sun faded or light faded from being in that. Oh, it would have been protected by a veranda. I think he's got out the front. So I don't ah, know. That we've got a lot of full sun. Wonderful, um, wonderful. But yeah, just sort of pleasantly. He had you know, the, the the shop he had was a, a fairly general sort of knickknack and antique sort of store. Mm. So it kind of fitted the bill as something attractive to put in the window. Yes. Um, so it's all been. Boxed up in cardboard boxes, and what, what probably my consuming part has been, like rather than getting many of my own modelling done, as I said, this layout was all based on the side of a hill, as all like large uh, quarry sort of cliff faces. So all the structures were built into the side of the hill, and once yes. they've come off that hill, uh, we had to find a way to actually get them propped up neatly so that they display neatly. So Certainly. there's been a lot, a lot of work go into building some. Uh, display bases so that everything can sit up neatly and transport easy and be a bit, bit, bit easier to sort of carry around. And because uh, some of these are, they're big structures, I mean, um, one of the pieces alone is uh, about nearly five feet long. Gosh, has uh, a large, big sort of trestle bridge leading Gosh. into like a, a mill section. Um, Gosh, the, the factory is probably a uh, big cumbersome piece, which is about three feet by three feet almost yes, uh, so they're, they're they're big imposing structures and um but just with a huge yeah, amount of detail as you know yeah look, and look even just going over this there's there's hatches and like water lids and stuff which pop yeah. open and, and windows which tilt and there's just so many little features where you know, you know roofs that come off that i would have never known had come off to get access and mm. what's what's really been impressive for me personally has been the accuracy of the build um, mm. You think in this day and age where we've got the luxury of things like laser cutters, yes. uh, you know, where it can be you know highly engineered. You know, back then this was like, well, you just be accurate with your hobby knife. And there are little pop-out sections which are press fit for you know hold, mm. holding in where light globes and the lights would go. And mm. the fit and, and the build is immaculate. Um, and that 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 alone has. Um, been impressive and and then you sit back and look at the whole model and get impressed even further again so certainly i mean australia i've mentioned this periodically through recording model rail radio but australian model railroaders particularly of as you say 20 30 years ago the 
you know, in in the US, there have always been plastic kits. There have always been kits for, you know, relative prototypes. You can kit bash what you can't get. In Australia, for a long period of time, there was just nothing of that nature. And people had to be, as you say, meticulous in their hobby in terms of creating stuff that, you know, most folks in the hobby in the US and the UK and certainly Europe as well, they'd have existing stuff that they could purchase and kit bash a little bit. But in Australia, none of that existed. And what happened was you had, as you say, these dedicated model makers that were just amazingly skilled at adding levels of detail through, as you say, just their blade <laughs> yeah, to create yeah, exactly. these, these models. Well, it's also like, I mean, I, I, I suppose I look at, I, I enjoy craftsmen's mm. skills. Uh, I know a lot has certainly changed in recent years with, you know, world access, you know, through the internet and, you know, the improvement of manufacturing sort of outlets and stuff through laser cutting and milling and, you know, molding and casting sort of, you know, abilities of, you know, manufacturers worldwide. And I suppose you look at, I mean, if I look at something like, you know, the narrow gauge and short line gazette magazines, I, I loved all the older editions. Uh, because it didn't, what was displayed in them was, you know, work done by guys that were craftsmen. You know, they, they didn't have all these luxuries of kits and, uh, you know, pre-built, ready to go sort of pieces. There was so much more scratch built, um, skill in that. And then it sort of, things, things changed and then you start becoming more and more ready to run availabilities or, you know, dress up kits or detail parts available and, yeah, you know, a lot of that that skill side of it tend to sort of slip a little bit, um, and it became modelling became a little bit more convenient. Yes, uh, I, I suppose I can look at you know some of the likes of you know Rick's modelling here, and you can mm. see well he, he's a guy that you know, he he would have I, I know he had a collection of gazettes because they're sitting next to me at the minute. They're going to be part <laughs> of an auction. <laughs> he's got twenty years of gazettes which I got my oh, feet rested on, which are there. They're, so they're going to be certainly on, part prior to the internet, but certainly still part of a community. Yeah, yeah, but like we we couldn't just jump online back then and you know say, oh, I like that kit, I'll order that, and I'll have it delivered here in a fortnight's yes. time. So no, anything that was same. in those sort of magazines, he would look at the photos and get inspired by it, and then build from that. And even you know, shopping wise, like you said, you know, if we're down here in Australia, you're a bit isolated from where you know, some yeah. of the core manufacturing and stuff was. And you know, if you wanted it back then, you either took the risk with you know, posting off a check. Money order. Know, things, yeah, things called letters orders. and, and yeah. telegrams and you know, those ancient yep. sort of things. With these days, it's like you know, PayPal and email and mm-hmm. you sorted it. So you know, modelling these days is certainly far more convenient. And, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I look and see if there's some you know, quality which may have suffered because of that that inconvenience mm. it's an interesting when I, yeah. I, well i look at you know this collection of models that we've got here from rick so I, I would be pretty confident that if he was alive today and turned up you know in four weeks time with all these models he would quite easily clean up the modeling contest with best diorama <laughs> best structure best locomotive um best rolling yes. stock there's, there's not much that he wouldn't clean up because the modeling yes. is that good and I've got a lot of time and respect for someone who's had that level of skill back in a in in that era when um, these luxuries weren't available. So certainly, 
Dan, it's always a pleasure chatting. Please do not get as burnt out as the professor got associated with the Narragansett Convention. <laughs> that, that is my task for you, is to not get completely and utterly burnt out through this process. Well, I've got a great team which has been working with me for this Wonderful. one, so uh, that, that has certainly taken a lot of the stress out of it. Um, and I, I guess because I've sort of had, had this plan going for a long time and everything has been sort of sort of templated to to make life easy that all we've got to do is fill in all the holes in a template and that template's pretty well full now and it's just a matter of opening the doors and letting the weekend run i think so that that template we've spent there's probably been more time consuming setting this one up because it's it hasn't been setting up just for this event you know in geelong in a few weeks time it's setting up for you know narrow gauge convention events in australia you know for the future as well so i'm, I'm trying to um make that future planning a whole lot Certainly. easier than, than than starting from scratch each time so uh, little things from you know establishing a, a a dedicated website for and mm. you know game plans for the whole weekend and yeah once this one's done we just wipe the slate and then start filling in the holes again so let us hope let us hope yes so <laughs> always a so, pleasure Tanik, dan uh, i i unfortunately am a little short for time today so um i'd love to talk to you for a longer period but i just unfortunately don't have the time but thank you very much for calling in and please do pass on my regards to everyone there the professor tracked me down when I was in Australia last time, so he and I have a special relationship. Let's just call it that. Um, but yeah, it's always wonderful to think of so many. I mean, Jim Gore is just a salt of the earth, and in terms of just sheer wisdom in the hobby, you're getting a good crowd together in terms of just the folks that are presenting, and that's obviously going to bring people out of the woodwork as well to attend. So all the best yeah. with regards to the Narrow Gauge Convention, and please do call back in and give a debrief when everything is done, if you're still in the hobby. Um, <laughs> oh, I'll still be in the hobby, I can guarantee Very that. Good. Yep. Very good. Always a pleasure chatting, Dan. Thank you for calling in. No worries, mate. Have a good one. You too. It's been another Model Rail Radio, folks. Always a pleasure catching up with folks like Dan Picard and... Uh, and yeah, good to make new friends like Martin as well, because uh, that's just the nature of Model Rail Radio. I'd like to send a shout out to all the other podcasts. There seem to be a lot of Model Rail Radio podcasts coming out currently, and it makes me feel a lot better when I can't make the uh, the milestones associated with getting, I think I promised maybe 16, maybe 18 shows recorded for this year. Always a pleasure to catch up with folks on the Facebook group as well, and we still have a mailing list. Not quite like the Facebook group, but we still have a mailing list. So thanks to the folks for calling in this evening, and thanks to the folks for listening in. Good night. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom. Good night, Tom.